Welcome back to the program. We are all connected. In a macro sense, the Internet and technology connects us all. But think about our individual networks, our social networks, on and offline, our business networks, our networks as customers, as consumers, as family members. And like a complex Venn diagram, these networks get stronger and denser and smarter as they all interconnect and react with each other. But is there a point where there is too much? where the density or even the brittleness of these networks affects our thought, our emotions, and potentially like a kind of autoimmune disease, collapse on themselves by reaching a kind of breakpoint. These are some of the ideas put forth by our guest, Jeff Steibel. He's a brain scientist and entrepreneur. He is currently the president and CEO of the Dun & Bradstreet Credibility Corporation. He was previously president and CEO of Web.com. His company, BrainGate, is doing advanced work in the area of brain chip technology, and he serves on boards for Brown University, Tufts, and the University of Southern California. It is my pleasure to welcome Jeff Steibel here today to talk about his book, Breakpoint, Why the Web Will Implode, Search Will Be Obsolete, and Everything Else You Need to Know About Technology is in Your Brain. Jeff Steibel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Delight to have you here. One of the things that you talk about is that all our understanding of networks and everything that we're trying to figure out about how networks are impacting us today in business, as individuals, we could all learn a lot from looking at what goes on in the natural world, looking at ants, looking at various other biological networks to really get an understanding of how they work and what might happen in the future. That's exactly right. It, it's it's interesting. We, we all have such an ethnocentric point of view, so that when when it comes to looking at networks like the internet and technology in general, we we tend to look at other human-made uh, inventions. When the thing that we constantly forget is before humans started inventing things, Mother Nature through evolution has been doing technology innovations for hundreds of millions of years. So we can learn as much, if not more from looking to nature and biology than we can looking from technology. Talk about some of the places that you've looked for those insights. Sure. And for me, the the technology that's most interesting to me, both because as an entrepreneur that's what I focused on and because I think that it is what is going to lead the 21st century forward, is the Internet. And the Internet is effectively a complex network. So I tend to look at other biological networks. And the, the, one that, the, the one that I'm most focused on, of course, is the human brain, because that's what I studied in my doctoral program. So as, as you look at the brain, most people think it is just a mystery. You know, there's a difference between the brain, which is a biological muscle, and the mind, which allows us to think. But the reality is all, it, all we're talking about is a, is a natural, complex technology. The brain is nothing more than a series of neurons, hundreds of billions of them, connected to one another in hundreds of trillions of ways. And when you think about the Internet, the Internet is just a bunch of computers connected to one another. So they're very, very similar in terms of their architecture. And when you bring it a layer up, they're also pretty similar in terms of what they do. Both are used for communication, for storage, and for calculation. Except when we look at networks in the natural world, we look at individual networks, at singular networks that may be very dense and interconnected, but they're singular in nature. One of the things that we're seeing today that you talk about in Breakpoint is the degree to which there are so many different kinds of networks and the degree to which they overlap and interact with each other. 
To what extent is that new, and does that pose potential dangers down the road? Well, I, I'm a big, big believer that, that nothing is really new. You know, in, innovation and invention happens primarily by taking something that's already happened in a different spot and applying it to, to a new field. So I, I would argue that all of these interconnected networks that we're talking about, whether we're talking about social networks, whether we're talking about traffic networks offline, whether we're talking about behavior within humans, uh, it, it has all happened in biology before. And the example that I use that, that I think is, is relatively fitting is, is when you look at ants and ant colonies. Right? Ant, ants are, are not very smart. Uh, they, they have very few neurons per ant, uh, and they don't do p particularly sophisticated things. But when you look at ants as a network, so effectively as a colony, what you see is after their break point, after they hit an implosion point, where they shrink to, to the size of the colony will be in adulthood, they do incredibly sophisticated things. And they do this by, by connecting not just with themselves as a network, but by also blocking interference from other networks, so from other ant colonies, from other species, and from, of course, us as we get out our cans of raid. But, uh, but when you look at it, I mean, what I think shocks people is ants have done things like invented air conditioning. They've, they've used complex agriculture. They've actually had very, very intricate warfare. Ants have even gone so far, and this isn't a good thing, uh, but have gone so far as to, as to create slaves of other ants. So they've done incredibly sophisticated things that I think most of us outside of the biological world just don't understand, and we can learn and apply that to our technology innovations. And what happens when we add into those technological innovations the human element, the emotionality, the logic, all of the things that, that are layered onto these complex networks? Well, the good news is I think that that is where the real magic happens, and frankly, it's also inevitable. I mean, we, we treat our minds as something so different than our bodies and, of course, by proxy than technology, but what we don't realize is that every time we invent and start using a new technology, we are interacting with that, and that interaction affects the technology, and it also affects our technology, our brains. So as, as we use the Internet, uh, we are changing the Internet. But we are also changing our own minds because of, because of that interaction. So in many ways, over the long term, our technologies and our biology will become one. Effectively, technology is just an extension of biology. And what that means is the Internet, in particular, will become more and more of a social phenomenon. You know, we will look back 10 years from now and think that social networks were as archaic as the first, as the first email and chat systems were. What do you say to people that have an intrinsic fear of that interaction? I mean, we see it today with people concerned about privacy in a world where arguably, arguably privacy doesn't even exist anymore. People are afraid of this technology in some respects. And I'll make two points about that. The first is it's inevitable. It's, it's here. It's here to stay. It's, it's only going to become more prolific. So, you know, fear is only useful when you can do something to change it. And, there, and there's very little we can do to change it, let alone even understand it at this point. Uh, so my, my general feeling is it is far better to actually embrace it because I think the good far outweighs the bad. And that, that brings me to my second point, which is every time a new technology comes out, there are always pundits crying foul and worried about whether it could do more harm than good. 
And the example that I like to use is, you know, is the great Socrates, the, the great uh, Greek philosopher, who when, when the writing instrument first came out, basically said, if you use writing, it will numb your brain. Uh, and, you know, of course, because of that, we know nothing about what Socrates actually said, because he refused to write it down. He was afraid of that new technology and what that could do to our brains. I think we need to, we need to realize that it is inevitable. And yes, we, we not only will lose our privacy, we have lost our privacy. But what we have gained in return is so fundamental and so powerful to the evolution of our species, because we have now begun to extend our minds and brains into the physical world, uh, that, it, that the benefits will far outweigh any potential negative. And where will that lead us in terms of this interaction? And, and what will be the biological, the evolutionary consequences of this over protracted periods of time? Well, this, that's a great question, Jeff, because that leads into my book, Breakpoint. And the, the general thesis there is we are going to have an implosion of all these network technologies. And what's going to happen is our networks, the Internet, is going to grow and grow and grow until it is too big in size. And at that point, it's going to shrink. And that's exactly what happens to the brain. The brain grows up until about the age of five, and then the neural connections in the brain implode. We lose ten times the number of of neural connections uh, that we had as children, uh, but we're smarter as adults. We, our brains get smaller, but they get smarter. So what's happening right now is there's just too much information on the Internet. It's too much of a good thing. There's too much clutter. Uh, there, there's too much garbage on the Internet and on the web and within all of these social networks, and we need to hit an implosion point. And when we hit that, what's going to happen is it's going to become more streamlined, more efficient, and far more effective, and dare I say it, I believe the Internet will start to adapt to either gain consciousness or become part of our consciousness. Isn't this, to a certain extent, the model that we're seeing with creative destruction as it relates to business, where business, as a result of, of this kind of technology, becomes smaller, denser, and more efficient? It, it is exactly the, the Schumpeter's model of, of creative dis destruction in, in economics and in business. The, the only difference is that businesses, unlike evolution, unlike economic principles, uh, businesses are typically run by individuals, and individuals are often pushed to grow too quickly, too fast, and to never heed the breakpoint. So the biggest, the biggest lesson to learn in nature is that when you actually hit a breakpoint, that's when you should allow yourself to creatively destruct. But most businesses try to push beyond that. And that's where you get into problems because the breakpoint is elastic. The further you push beyond the breakpoint, the harder your collapse will be. And if you, if you don't heed that warning, your collapse will be on the order of MySpace as opposed to on the order of the human brain. So instead of growing in intelligence and gaining in wisdom and gaining in efficiency, you will just collapse into oblivion. Do we have to redefine, then, in a larger kind of macro sense, what it is that makes us human? I think we constantly have to do that. And for better or worse, we constantly are. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people talk about what uh, Ray Kurzweil calls the singularity, mm -hmm. uh, which, was, you know, which was a concept invented in the, in the 50s, which is when will computers and technology and robotics, when will they gain human-like ability, human intelligence? And I'm always, often, I'm, I'm always asked, 
is the singularity near? Is it upon us? It, will it ever happen? And the, the, thing that, the thing that I constantly try to tell people is that's the wrong question. It, there is no such thing as a singularity because as humans, it's only natural for us to draw the line of where humanity is unique and special uh, in, in a way that best suits us. And way back when, we used to say to be human meant the ability to use tools. And then we found out that chimpanzees and apes and other primates could use tools. We said, well, you know what? We made a mistake. We didn't find intelligence in the animal kingdom. We just made a mistake in terms of how we defined ourselves. Uh, really, it's reflexive self-reflection, the ability to be able to know who you are. Uh, and then, of course, they, they showed dolphins, mirrors not so long ago, and the dolphins were able to recognize themselves. So we, again, crossed out the line and we drew it a little bit further down. You know, our definition of humanity is much like a line in the sand. It, we, we draw the line, we, we stand by it, and then a wave comes and washes it away, and we draw it a little bit further upstream. And the problem with that, of course, is we will always be adapting our view of what it means to be human. And I think as the Internet becomes more and per, more pervasive, we're going to have to redefine what it means to actually be intelligent. Because no longer is having a great memory such a, such a good trait for us as, you know, as thinkers when you know, all we need to do is effectively call in a lifeline uh, and use our, you know, use our opposable thumbs to log into the Internet. And one day it wouldn't surprise me if other animals can do that and if technology can do that. So for me, the singularity is, is not just near. It's happened years and years ago. It was just an evolution, not a revolution. So we've missed it. And to your point, Jeff, it means that we constantly redraw what our definitions of humanity and intelligence actually are. And as we do this, technology continues to change on its side, and, and we're seeing technology itself become more and more, quote-unquote, emotional in some respects. I think that's exactly right. And, and of course, it's, it's almost inevitable. Because technology, just like biology, evolves. And the only difference is where biology takes hundreds of millions of years through the process of natural selection, we have the benefit of both evolution and human insight to steer our technology towards our greater needs. And ultimately, we're social animals. So we are going to inevitably evolve technology to be a social extension of self. Do we reach a point where the change, the technology, all of these things that we've been talking about proceeds at such a rapid pace that our current evolutionary biology of our brain is not capable of, of coping with the degree and the extent of the change? I, I think the answer again to that is yes. I think we are in the process of creating things that we don't know and can't possibly hope to know what the outcome will be. And, and in many ways, that's, that's one of the great fears and, and excitements of the concept of social intelligence or crowd intelligence, where no one individual could possibly know what's happening. But as a collective, as a group, we're doing things that are far more powerful than we ever could have before. And to put it into perspective, we, we, we constantly have, you know, have that feeling, that belief that it's the brain that makes us so powerful and so intelligent. You know, we, we have the biggest brains, most people say. The truth is we don't have the biggest brains in the animal kingdom. Um, we, we have the biggest brains relative to our body size. So it's not just the size of the brain, it's the efficiency 
of the brain. Uh, and what I think shocks most people, and I, I talk a lot about this in my book Breakpoint, is over the last 20,000 years, our brains have actually been shrinking, not growing as a species. And if that's the case, but we're still gaining in sophistication, we have to ask ourselves why that's, why that's true. And the reason is because we have now gone beyond our brain and we've extended our biology, we've extended our bodies through tools, and we've extended our minds through technology such that we don't need to use the incredibly costly resource of our brain biologically. And we can extend through other vehicles such as computers, the Internet, the World Wide Web, and, and now social networks. It's also created a greater density, which is, is another part of this equation. That, that is exactly right. And, and as you get this, this density, uh, which, which is a combination of shrinking in terms of space, uh, but growing in terms of more and more connections between people, that, that again is where the real magic happens. And we see that in the brain. We see that in other biological entities such as ants, deer, cockroaches. Uh, and we are now seeing that in technology as technology helps us evolve as a species. And what does that tell us about the future of our own interconnection with other people and face-to-face -face contact and how that might change as a result of all of this? Um, what, what, I'll, what I will say is if you look at what's already happened in the last 10 years uh, and then look more, more, uh, you know, more global at the last 50 to 100 years, the world has become far more interconnected, but in a way that is, is a little bit less transparent as well, because we're not having as much face-to-face -face contact, but we still feel connected to the world. And we're doing that through the telephone, the telegraph, through fax, uh, through email, through social networks. We feel like we're getting more and more connected, and we are through, through our brains and through technology. Uh, but at the same time, we're getting less and less connected with, with the traditional human contact, the face-to-face -face conversations, uh, the, you know, the other connections that you think of when, when we used to think about what it means to be a connected species. So in one, in one sense, we are very much getting less and less connected. But in, in another, in probably a more profound and more important one, we are growing more and more connected as a species. Of course, what we don't know is what the psychological implications of that will be over time. We, we don't and we can't. And, and I'll, I'll again revert to that there, there are always going to be problems. Uh, but I think that the benefits will far outweigh the negatives. And the good news is, you know, our species has been, has been shown to evolve very well to adapt to, to different situations. And I think we will have an adaptive principle within our brains that makes those technological connections as powerful, as rich, as robust emotionally as, as the human face-to-face -face connections that, that we had previously. Jeff Steibel, the book is Breakpoint. Why the web will implode, search will be obsolete, and everything else you need to know about technology is in your brain. Jeff, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.